Over recent times, I've come to learn that if we can fix it before it's broken and if we can nurture young women in their journey, that's really for me where the gem lies because that is setting someone up for long-term health. And I think as young women, it very often goes out the window. There's a lot that we have to worry about. I get that, especially as teens. But I feel like this conversation needs to be had so that we can start to create a new wave and really help lead women in the right direction. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Are you ready to uncover the disconnect that women experience between their health and their hormones? Because that's what my dear friend Nat Kragungas and I are discussing today. We are going to go deeper into this conversation about how to be the best female role model, and that really is leading by example for the younger generation of women that we are looking to take care of. See, you and I both know that we have a responsibility as a woman to educate younger women and girls about their reproductive health. That is why I recently raised over $100,000 to Days for Girls to help close the gap for girls to understanding their bodies and feeling more empowered by their bodies and not trapped by them. You know, what I love most about Dr. Nat Kragungas, she has accepted the task of inspiring wellness, not only to those embarking on becoming parents, but equally important to her, educating young women and girls about the choices that shape their reproductive health. But before we jump into this really incredible conversation today about how to be the role model and how to help girls step into their power for this next generation and beyond, I want to first just take a moment and tell you about my collaboration that I have with another dear friend of mine. Actually, Nat and Tony and I were all really, really good friends. But Dr. Tony Ewan, we have joined together for the last several months and each month we are doing a podcast together. And it's very different than the podcast that I do. It's very different than the podcast that he does. We really wanted to do something a little bit different. And so we get on, we look up some of the important current affairs in the health space and discuss them. And it's really not only do we do the research, but we get to share our opinions, how these types of conversations or how these these new current affairs have affected our own families, our lifestyle, what we think about that, and it's just a lot of fun. And so we have a new episode out. It's actually being hosted on Dr. Anthony Ewan's podcast, and this new episode is episode number 113. Now, Dr. Tony, and a little bit about him is that he's a holistic plastic surgeon, but he has a really amazing book. He's been on Rachel Ray, like, I don't even know, 20-something times, Dr. Oz, The Today Show. I mean, he's like all-known. He's like the celebrity (laughs) holistic plastic surgeon, but he really teaches women how to stay off of the surgery table. That's his job, and how we can take care of our skin, how we can nourish our bodies, and I just have gotten along with him for many years now. So this new particular episode, episode 13, is we are discussing our thoughts on the Monsanto verdict, why we try to eat organic over conventionally grown foods, 
how to use essential oils and how they've made just a massive difference in your health, your appearance, even your weight, which I know we talk about that here. And he also introduces everyone to the newest member of his family. So it's personal and then we're connecting. It's a lot of fun. And I just wanted to let you know that I was doing this collaboration. I thought that if you're loving this podcast, you may want to go and check out those episodes as well and really enjoy it. So that link will be in the show notes in case you want to go check that out. Now, as promised, I want to take a moment and shout out a couple listeners as I'm doing every single week now on the Essentially You podcast. Now, the last two weeks with Dr. Pedram and Sherry Salata have been the best weeks ever. So I want to say thank you so much for that. If you had a chance to listen to those episodes, I hope you enjoyed them. If you haven't listened to those episodes, it was episode 47 and episode 48 both absolutely worth listening to. They both have a really incredible mindset and viewpoint around health and wellness and how we live our best lives. So here is the shout out. I want to take a moment and thank Allison Schaff and Dr. Michelle Coleman for reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Now I want to specifically feature Dr. Coleman because I just really, really enjoyed her testimonial or her review rather. She says that this podcast is filled with so many gems. Where do I even start? Personally, I love her podcast episodes and her easy to implement protocols and rituals. I love learning about how to balance my hormones in my purse. Keep it up, Dr. M. And I just wanna say thank you so much, Michelle. I loved that episode about balancing your hormones in your purse. Personally, I totally do that. I I do that and I wanted to make sure I taught it to you. Right now, I am not remembering the episode for that, the how to balance your hormones in your purse. It was definitely a fan favorite, but if I can find it quick enough, well, you never know, I will make sure to share that with you guys as well because that was such a fun episode and it really kind of shows you how when we're moving all over the place, especially the holidays or any holiday vacations, it's so great to be able to support your hormones in your purse. And it's episode number 29, in case you wanna go check that out. Luckily, I've got my little, I've got my podcast scheduler up here, so I was able to pull that really quickly. All right, now really quickly about reviewing, I just wanna say thank you so much. If you have shouted it out on Facebook or Instagram, or if you simply have left a review on podcast or whatever platform you love to plug into, I want you to know that your shout outs are making such a big difference. People are listening in. We're getting hundreds of new listeners, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of new listeners every week because of you. And I love the testimonials. I love that women are reaching out to me every day day telling me that they love the content and they love that they've been able to not only implement a lot of those rituals and protocols and oils and, and nutritional tips and techniques, but they're then sharing it with other people in their life. And that's what I really want to have happen. Like, how do we become the change that we want to see in this earth? And it's really about disseminating that information. I was listening to a podcast today, a couple podcasts. I'll let you know I'm an Oprah fan and I was listening to the Super Soul conversations with Oprah and Michelle Obama over her book on becoming and I was a two-part so I was I was in it for the long haul I listened to both episodes I'm such a I love podcasts myself this is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to to get inspired and I was loving the stories that she was telling I there was so much I saw in myself as she was telling that story 
of doing the dutiful. You know, she became an attorney and didn't love being an attorney. And I remember, I, I don't know if you guys know, but I became a scientist at the age of, well, 22. I got out of college and was a biochemist. It's a really prestigious laboratory. And it was, it was the job any parent, any family would want their child to have. And then she talks about checking these boxes and how she was like, okay, get good grades, box check. You know, go to a good school, box check. Make sure that you've got a great job leading into grad school, box check. And then one day you look at your life and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been checking all these boxes, but I never ever asked myself what I wanted for me. And that was, I was just listening to this. And I remember, I remember going back to my family when I was 24-ish. I always knew I was going back to, to medical school or some type of school to get a doctorate. And I remember going to them and telling them like this biochemistry work as once upon a time was definitely a bit of a passion of mine. Like I see the trajectory of where it's going and this isn't for me. And I remember some of my family just thinking to themselves, I remember, and even expressing to me like, how dare you have this great paying job with all these benefits and this retirement plan at 24 years old, I bought a house and everything and you're just gonna walk away from it. And a lot of people in my life did not approve of my decision to do so. And that's what I love so much about the ability to share these stories, to be able to share with you what what's working for me or what has worked for me in the past or what has helped to for me to overcome my health issues over the years and hoping that we can continue to educate women and our daughters and the people that matter most to us and we change the landscape of healthcare, just like we we hopefully get inspired to change the landscape of other things that are really not serving us. And so I just felt that little boost of inspiration today by listening to Michelle tell her story. I've got the book, I'm reading the book, and that's what I hope this podcast is for you. These little tips of inspiration, these these things that are actionable that you can walk away with that say, yeah, I, I have control of my health care. I can make decisions about my health and my body that feel good to me and that I don't need to be driven by other people's agenda in, in a way that doesn't serve my body. So that is what I'm so excited about talking to Nat today. We're gonna get into that. And what were we told by our moms in the generations before? What's taboo about our hormones and and what we thought were true and then we find out was different? And how do we change the conversation so that our daughters and our grandchildren don't feel so lost? Now, before we get into this conversation, I just wanna sing Nat's praises because she's such a rock star. By the way, Nat Kragunga, as you'll learn real quick, she's from Australia. She's got a really amazing Australian accent, but she is a doctor of Chinese medicine and an acupuncturist and a best-selling author, as well as the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, which is called Period Party with Nicole Jardim. So definitely go check out Period Party. Especially if you want to know and you want to understand more about your cycle, that's the place to do it. Nat has recognized a large gap between conventional medicine and supporting wellness and has developed a unique style to women's natural health care. Integrating the Western medical approach with alternative therapies, Chinese medicine and natural fertility methods. Her knowledge in fertility and natural medicine regularly is featured in a column in Australian Natural Health Magazine in major publications including Marie Claire, Cosmopolitan, and regular TV appearances like The Today Show and The Morning Show. She's also a two-time best-selling author. She's got a new book coming out 
this month. I'm so excited. It's called Beautifully You. It's all about helping girls, teenagers, and young women really understand their bodies, the choices that they have around their reproductive health, and how they can grow up being empowered. This is so beautiful. And that is what we're going to be talking about today in this conversation. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Nat. I am, oh my gosh, girl, I am so happy that you are joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real privilege to be here with you. Oh my goodness. And you are such an amazing inspiration to me. You girl, you run two podcasts. It's so incredible. You are such an inspiration. And what we're going to be talking about, which you are the best person to bring this to the table, is really how to be the best female role model. And so I can't wait to hear what that looks like. And it's kind of a teaser because we could go in so many directions with this. Absolutely. And something that really is only, obviously, I have two children. So that's on my radar always. But I feel like we reserve that to being a role model just for our children. And it's not. There's people watching all the time. So how can you be the best version of you and inspire others by how you act and behave, not just children, but our loved ones around us? Absolutely. And I want to, you know, just to get some context, I know I got a, a chance to introduce you already, but the one thing we don't know yet, and honestly, I just realized that I don't know as much about is really the story for how you became the doctor that you are today for serving the tens of thousands of women that you serve all of the time. You know, how did that come about? What does your journey look like? People ask me all the time, how did you decide to get into women's health? And I always say, oh, I did not choose this. Come on. <laughs> I Don't get me wrong. I love treating women's health, but it really was something that evolved organically. I definitely didn't choose it. I studied for a long time at university, as many of us do. I had my own health challenges, suffered from endometriosis quite badly, and it wasn't actually my motivation to study Chinese medicine at all. I grew up in a household where natural therapies were definitely the first point of call. And so I loved studying Chinese medicine, but I didn't really put two and two together when it came to my health. It wasn't until I actually got motivated because I was quite overweight for a short person that I started to see the correlation between my menstrual cycles improving, my health improving, and that was actually the motivator, not so much that I hadn't drawn that correlation. I was young and learning as we all do. So it was very interesting. And once I started to adjust my diet, my lifestyle and, and everything started to improve, I very much saw this connection, which was good because it kept me on this path of education and discovery and learning. And eventually that led me to opening up my clinic here in Melbourne, Australia, where <laughs> as a new practitioner, you pretty much just take what you can get, in all honesty. You don't set out necessarily, well, maybe now you do. It's a little bit different. We're talking sort of 15 years ago where you just tr would treat anyone that came to you because it was a new business and that's the way it rolls. So I had this influx of women knocking on my door asking for health with their hormones and especially their fertility and I didn't know how to help them. I had studied in length gynecology at school. I had studied women's health and the human body, but the modern issues that I was seeing 
weren't actually something that I had learned at university. So I didn't feel very well equipped. So I was actually pushing these women away saying, I don't really know how to help you. And eventually so many women kept on asking that I saw the opportunity to step up and decide, all right, well, I need to learn. So I asked them for permission (laughs) and said, all right, well, I don't really know, but let's learn this together and really went on this path. And that was 15 years ago or maybe 14 years ago. And it really quickly evolved because there wasn't really many of us doing this at that time. And now there's lots of, you know, women's health experts, which is wonderful because there are a lot of women in the world that need this this information and this education. And so I really did start with the fertility being on the forefront. But over recent times, I've come to learn that if we can fix it before it's broken and if we can nurture young women in their journey, That's really, for me, where the gem lies because that is setting someone up for long-term health. And I think as young women, it very often goes out the window. There's a lot that we have to worry about. I get that, especially as teens. But I feel like this conversation needs to be had so that we can start to create a new wave and really help lead women in the right direction. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And one of the things that kind of really pointed out to me and as we began to have this conversation today was that it really does start early on. And I don't know if you can remember these early conversations. I definitely can remember the relatively them being non-existent. You know, I had lots of hormone chaos in my family and, you know, it was early, early teenage years and into my 20s that I started exhibiting all kinds of mood swings, weight gain, I mean, everything and a lot of it relating to my hormones on and off birth control that completely just whacked me out and just didn't know how to navigate any of this. And so why is it so important that we begin to have these conversations as women and particularly having these conversations with our, with our daughters as mothers, as aunts, as grandparents to become an example of not only being a good person, but really taking care of our bodies so we continue to serve other women. Yeah, I think there's a couple of facets there. You know, we take our health for granted and that's just something that we all all do from time to time. So, you know, really coming back to the fact that health doesn't happen by chance, it's a choice and we need to be educated from a young age, just like we're educated to brush our teeth. No one's questioning that. Whereas, when it comes to our hormone health, A, we often don't understand it. We we fear it because it seems difficult and hard to understand. And C, we've also accepted that it's normal to have period pain. It's normal to feel moody. It's normal to have spotting or whatever. And these are actually symptoms that your body is telling you that something's not quite right. So I really subscribe to the fact that as women, we have this absolute right to understand our bodies. And we have disconnected from that because of things like the oral contraceptive pill, or maybe our beliefs that we've been nurtured and grown up with, which aren't necessarily terrible, but they don't allow us to connect with our bodies as much as I think we should be. So if we can start to come back to you know, the facts, what the functions of certain parts of our bodies are, what the function of our hormones are. And it doesn't need to be complicated. It needs to be simple. But I really think that there's so much power in having that conversation and we take the fear out of it. We understand what's going on. And and there's a bit of also take the shame out of it. I think that especially it depends on how you were brought up, but I definitely went to a private school as a young woman and it wasn't spoken about because it was taboo. It wasn't okay to talk about your female anatomy even and heaven forbid if you, you know, questioned 
you know, sex ed and what happened. It just wasn't something that was acceptable. Whereas I think now we have this opportunity to have these beautiful conversations and I think it's so important for our long-term health and that's why I want to talk about this so much because I think that it's just not discussed enough. And I agree. No, I did go. I didn't go to private school the whole time. But when I did, I was actually in private school when I started my period. Or no, I hadn't started it yet. I was in this private Catholic school. And a couple of girls in my class, I want to say I was in sixth grade or something like that, had. And the other mean girls, because again, it was so taboo, were putting tampons all over their lockers. It was just awful. It was, you know, you not only were you getting shut down from the girls in your class, but also, it, you know, for me, I remember my mom just kind of like shoving a pad underneath the door. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, totally. I remember the book that my mom gave me, and it was a, maybe a 16 page, almost like a flyer. It wasn't even a book as such. And what is so interesting is that I remember being so fascinated. It, and now I look back and think, oh my goodness, I was meant to do this. Like I'm totally in the right place here. So fascinated, but it was taboo. And here is the thing that I've come to also recognize. Boys go through puberty and it's almost it's almost a fun thing. You know, it's a bit of a joke. Their voices break. We laugh about it. You know, maybe they have wet dreams or they wake up and they have an erection or whatever it is. And it's acceptable. It's kind of a bit funny. Um, it's not serious like it is for women when they make their transition. Like you said, when you got your period, all of a sudden it was serious business. There was no fun in it. It was almost like, well, you're a woman now and it's time to be very responsible. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be responsible. In fact, quite the opposite. I think we should know our bodies in such a way that it's not scary. It is amazing. It is fun and there's nothing bad about it. And that's why, again, having these conversations I think is important because it just demonstrates, again, that there is this big disconnect. Yes, there is a massive disconnect. I remember it being, I honestly, Nat, it felt horrifying when I started my period and there were, there was no, I had no answers. And I had a, back in the day, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but I had, I had an evil stepmother and she was convinced that anytime I got my period and she would like scour the trash to see when I would start. And she would just talk about how awful of a person I was, how terrible my mood was. You know, I just, I just got pummeled every time I really, I did my best to literally hide my period. I would take my pads and I would throw them in the big trash where no one could see them. I didn't want anyone in my family to know because I knew that I would get chastised for it, that I would, I was this supposedly this period monster in my oh, home. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm so sorry that that was the case because that just sounds horrible. It is horrible. Like, I'm so happy that we're having this conversation about this disconnect because, and I want you to talk a little bit more about that and what you are seeing because it was very much a disconnect. It felt like a, a plague that was brought down upon me as a little girl, as a teenager. Like, that's what it felt like. That now that I had my period, that I was female enemy of the family. I don't know what it was. It just was, it was, it felt like a very cruel joke. Absolutely. And I think that this is common. I think that a lot of young women, and I don't think we intentionally do this as mothers. I mean, maybe your stepmother sounded horrible and yeah. <laughs> like she was trying to, <laughs> but I think in general, you know, we want the best for our children. We a, definitely don't want them to fall pregnant. And I think that's where the fear comes from mostly is that, well, 
you know, I don't want that for my daughter. And of course, I'm pretty sure as a young woman, you don't want that either. But it still comes back to understanding your body. And I just don't think that that comes from this place of fear. I think that actually creates more problems, more challenges, and just this this further disconnect because you don't want it. But the amount of young women I see that just, they have their period, they get it, and then they just don't want it anymore because of everything that comes with it. And the complications, like you said, of other people buying into that, what people are saying, what they're thinking, our hormones, our moods, there's so much that got, comes along with it. I, I just think that if we were taught about our menstrual cycles and and how we can use them to our advantage and how it's not bad, in fact, it's wonderful if you work it all out and you can totally play that to your advantage, then I just I think it would be a very different conversation. I know that there are cultures that completely celebrate the arrival of period and, and really nurture that for women. And even down the track, like you're saying, I speak to women now in their 30s and 40s who say things like, I just don't have a libido anymore. And I can't help but wonder what they were told when they were 16 17 or 18, that maybe psychologically is suppressing that as an older woman because we go back to old habits. We, especially when we're busy, we're nurturing obviously a family, but it's such a common thing that I have women say in the clinic is, I just don't have a libido anymore. And I, I'm really interested in this area and I, I'm researching this as much as I can because I feel like there's lots of connections throughout our life that stem right back to how we felt when we were younger. And there's, you know, we know this already, but I'd like to explore that even more. Yeah, it's so interesting that you said that. You know, we were we were hiring a new team member a couple months ago and we were interviewing them and one of the things I was doing it was right before Valentine's Day and I was doing this Love Your Libido week. And as mm-hmm. I was I was just happened to be mentioning it to this one woman that we were we were looking at and I told her I was like, "Oh yeah, and then we're planning for Love Your Libido week and da da da." And she's like, "Whoa, that's a bold choice." Like you could tell it made her oh, so uncomfortable and I was like, "Oh, bummer." It's not for the team. You know what I'm saying? So it was really interesting. Is libido a dirty word for us in this world? For women in particular, not so much for men. For men, it seems to be absolutely, totally fine to have a a healthy sex drive. I think it's wildly interesting. I remember speaking to Dr. Annika Becker about this. She was saying that it's very interesting. Women, as we get sort of to our 30s and 40s, we don't have that same sex drive that we once did. But having no libido is actually not being able to have sex in the moment. Whereas most women, once they're in the moment, they're fine. They can get into the mood, they can enjoy themselves. And it's not that it's a blanket, no, I can't do this. So I think it's very important that we discuss that straight up, that be kind to yourself as women innately. We're not really the ones that generally are initiating this. Men are more sexual in their thoughts and behaviours and feelings. And that's typically why they're the ones that are tapping us on the shoulder going, hey, <laughs> and would you know, how do you feel about that? So I I think that's an important thing to be kind to yourself and to because we we don't forgive ourselves for this we get really hung up on it and from the women that I see in the clinic they're very worried about the fact that they don't have what they're titling a libido when in actual fact they do they've just got to be prompted for that to actually happen so I think that's 
fine. Um, I think we need to know that though. It would be nice information that we would judge ourselves less for. But yeah, men are more sexual beings. And I definitely do think that there is some correlation between what we're told as a 16-year-old, how it's not okay, it's not acceptable. It's possibly that you are then considered if you are having sex from a young age, you're probably not considered in the greatest light when in actual fact maybe you're just exploring and it doesn't actually deserve a title that's negative I don't think I mean we don't want I don't there's a purpose obviously for us to educate young women that it's not safe to be having sex with multiple partners and that you know sex does need to be someone with someone special and I believe that there is a bond that comes from that and I'm certainly not suggesting that women should just be out there you know (laughs) gallivanting around nor should men but I do think that there needs to be better conversation I do think even I don't know about you but I wasn't even encouraged to get a mirror and look down there I don't didn't even know what my anatomy was until recent times. In fact, in writing the last book, I learned so much about my anatomy. I was ashamed of myself for not knowing. And my husband's sitting next to me often at nighttime when I was sitting there writing and I was like, oh my goodness, the purpose of the clitoris. I didn't actually understand the complexity of it. No one taught me. And how would I know unless I go and find that out? And why would I go and find that out? So I think, yeah, these conversations are so important. I mean, I grew up within a family where you don't you don't go down there. You don't look down no. there. It's a no, no go. Never. One of my favorite stories I want to just share, and I hope my mom isn't listening or my grandmother. But um, mm-hmm. when my mom was growing up, my grandmother told her, my mom went to Catholic school her whole life, that she pointed with her finger out, her index finger to my mom. And she said, listen, do you see this thing right here? It's between a man's legs and it's the devil. Don't go near mm-hmm. it. That was what she told my mom. <laughs> That was the conversation that was happening. Yeah, I know, but no wonder we're so afraid of this. And I grew up certainly quite conservative views as well. It wasn't that it was wrong, but it wasn't spoken about. And I just think that just like anything, when there's open and honest conversation, it removes the stigma from things. All of a sudden there's a little bit of freedom in it. And it's, again, I don't think it's that, when we're told we shouldn't do something, there's two camps, let's be honest. There's the people that just listen and don't do it and then there's the people that rebel. Right. <laughs> and I was always that person that would rebel to things, you know, don't drink because, it, you know, you're underage. So what did I, I would do? I would then see that as a challenge, you know, those sorts of things. I really feel that if there was more information, if it was more open, if we as adults were more accepting of that too, and it's up to us to change this, that's why we're talking about this right now, I think we can actually create massive change for the next generation. I agree. I wonder if two things are happening, and Nat, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. One of the first things that you had mentioned, one, I think that if we don't say anything to these girls, maybe they won't, like you said, end up pregnant. Maybe we'll Mm. just keep it super hush-hush. We don't tell them anything about how their bodies work. We don't tell them to ever explore anything, and maybe they will just stay away and abstain from from whatever it is, right? That's that's the one school of yeah. thought. And then the other school of thought too, I think plays in it. And again, love to hear your opinion. Is this a big whole scheme to just keep us down? <laughs> like oh. we just do not empower women in any way, but especially within their own bodies and it'll be fine. Like we'll just keep them, kind of keep them where they're at. I completely, totally agree that, well, he. Here's an example. I sent my daughter to school camp a few weeks ago. It was her first school camp experience. 
I knew that there may be some reservations and some concerns about her going to sleep and being able to sleep at night on her own. But I didn't bring it up because I thought if I bring attention to it, am I going to make it worse? When she gets there, it might just be fine. If I give her anxiety around it, it might actually be worse than what this needs to be. And because I have those same fears as a kid, so I didn't want to put my fears onto my child. When she went, she had a horrible time. She couldn't sleep. She cried every night. And in hindsight, I didn't prepare her for it. I didn't give her the information that she needed to make it okay. And I think that this is a similar, I know it's a little bit more serious, but it's a similar example that we need the information. You know, we need to be educated. We need to be able to make the choices and we need it to be okay. And if it's not okay, then we ask more questions and we get the clarity that we need to make it make it okay. But I think you're right. And I think it does. It really just comes back to this whole fear of pregnancy. I can't see what else it is that would be making it not okay. And then the conversation needs to be had. Well, actually, you can only really fall pregnant a couple of days in your cycle. Yet as young women, we're almost, not quite, but almost led to believe that you might sniff a guy and you might fall pregnant, which is we know is ridiculous, but we still have this fear around it. So again, understanding our bodies, understanding when we're fertile and when we're not, that's what I do think is the biggest gift. And then there's all these added extra bonuses. And, you know, I don't think we were given body parts for no reason. I just can't subscribe to that. That's ridiculous. You know, some might argue you don't need your your gallbladder or you don't need your thyroid. or But I think in theory, everything's there for a reason, whether we've got it worked out yet or not you know, maybe we don't. So I subscribe to the same thing when it comes to our reproductive organs. I don't think they were put there for no reason. They're there for a reason. It's okay to have pleasure. It's okay to explore that. I think this is, again, you know, just a new new way of looking at it that makes it much more fun and much more how I think it's supposed to be. Absolutely. And I love that we're debunking the myth because so many women honestly do not know that they can only really get pregnant a couple times out of the month, couple days. Most We've all been told that it could happen anytime. You just sneeze and bam, it's, you know. And this is the other thing too, is women spend their whole teens and 20s and maybe their 30s trying not to fall pregnant. Oh, yeah. And then when the time comes that it is right to fall pregnant, they discover all these things about themselves that they never knew because maybe they're on, put on contraception to treat a problem and that's my other big pet hate is that contraception isn't a fix. It's a contraception. It's not a solution. When it comes to fixing problems within your body, it might create some space to get some clarity, but you actually have to fix the problem at hand. And so this is what I'm saying with, this is what I'm saying with these women that I'm treating and or I was treating in their 30s and 40s wanting to have babies if I could have fixed them when they were 16, it would be a very different situation. Whereas they're 35, heartbroken, finding out that they've got problems with their fertility that they never knew and have spent all this time trying not to fall pregnant when in actual fact, they're not in their most fertile state anyway. Mm -hmm. And that is probably one of the most heartbreaking things of them all is all of these women in their, you know, teens, 20s, 30s, who are, they're literally this big, massive band-aid being put over them and not even knowing that there's an issue until they're at the point where they have, they want to start having children. And I mean, talk about the the big, scary climb, the hope that that can happen. And literally, we're just disguised it for over, you know, maybe in some instances, two decades. 
and yes, had no idea. Absolutely. So again, this is what I'm saying, you know, I think women need to understand it's all about education and education about menstrual cycles, education about hormone imbalance, the problems that could arise. They're all fixable. Unless there's some diabolical structural problem, they're all fixable, contrary to what we've been told as well. So it's it's hopefully a refreshing conversation to have because well, that's why we're here. <laughs> but, you know, to just think about this. And like you said at the beginning, it's not so much just our daughters. It's our loved ones. It's, it might be our, our nieces. It might be the young woman that sits across from you at your desk at work or one of your girls that you coach in your basketball team. Or I don't know. But it really is our responsibility as women to be able to nurture this next generation. Agreed. And you had mentioned just now, what you know, it's all fixable. And I know sometimes, especially listeners right now, it may not feel very fixable. But I want to get into how do we begin to improve the landscape for women's health in general? How do we begin to really address these more fixable scenarios early in? Well, again, I still think it comes with coming back to exactly what we've just been talking about and understanding what our body is communicating to us. You know, this when I first started in this space, this was a really novel idea because we relied on a test to tell us. And unfortunately, not all tests are what they're cracked up to be. And we often put our eggs all in one basket. So really looking through signs and symptoms to guide you, they are never wrong. And they are the best guide to then prompt you as to what you might do next, whether that is specific testing or diet and lifestyle changes or or getting a grasp on stress or fixing your environment or whatever it might be. But I think really just sitting still for a minute and looking at what your body is communicating to you, it's never going to lead you in the wrong direction and we must we must start with that. Um, and then I've, the next thing I would say is investing in people, I call them your cheer squad, those people who are there to support you, whether it's, you know, certain people's websites and podcasts and health professionals and doctors and whoever that is for you, but I really think that you need a core six or seven people that are there cheering you on. And if you don't have that in your healthcare professional, then you need to find someone who will because if they're not on the same page as you, it's going to be very hard to get where you want to go. So I think there's some really simple things, but we've made it really hard. We look at hormone imbalance and we think, oh my goodness, I'm not an endocrinologist. This is just way too hard for me. And I can appreciate that. And that's why we do what we do. But above all, if the only one thing you did was change your diet, that can have profound impact on your hormones as much as we don't want to admit it because we don't like the idea of changing our diet very often. (laughs) But it can be enough to take you from a a state of disharmony or disease into a a state of well-being. And, And so, you know, it's not what you actually do when you're at your doctor's office. It's actually what you do when you leave and beyond that counts the most. It absolutely does. And can I ask, who are some of your cheer squad? Where do you go to really get fueled up for your body? Sure. So I have a couple of health professionals in here that, you know, would perform hands-on healing. Probably my number one, and you'll love this, is my chiropractor. He is without doubt such a force in our family in terms of our health. It's very hard as a healthcare professional to be objective in your own health. I find that tricky for me. I can't see necessarily what my children need. I need someone to support me on that. And so he's definitely been that person. So I have him, I have our integrative GP who I don't really need to see that often, but if I do have anything, then she's my go-to person there. And then I have a handful of websites that I will will also, you know, utilize and, and rely on, but I probably don't 
use my people in my clinic enough. You know, acupuncture is something I advocate for 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 everybody. There's almost nothing that it can't support. Acupuncture and herbal medicine, again, a go-to thing. So I have that and I have access to that in my clinic, obviously, whenever I need. So I'm spoiled. I get that. And I have all these people that are on the same page as me, which really helps. But also if I have a crazy or silly idea and they're not supportive of that, I trust them. So I will look and think, okay, hang on a minute, what am I missing here? And I think that's really important to have those people. I absolutely agree. And I'm so, thank you so much for sharing. I love that. And then I know that we touched upon this, you know, we're talking about those examples for how we can take care of our bodies as well, but anything that we can do to make sure that we're inspiring our upcoming generation. And I know we talked a little bit about this, but what is, what are the things that you're doing with your daughter that really you feel that is different than what happened for you or what you've seen? I love this question because I think we can get really frustrated. I know mothers of teens get very frustrated. We've got to also be reminded that as teens, we're supposed to be exploring. We're supposed to be rebelling. We're supposed to be questioning everything. It's frustrating as a parent to watch, but I think these are the times when mothers and loved ones often get very frustrated because it's like, you're just not listening to me. It's almost like you're speaking a different language. These are the times I definitely think we need to be the example and preaching doesn't work. So people will buy into you because of your mannerisms, because of how you look and behave and act and how you nurture your body. And you want to do that in such a way that it is inspiring, I think, to others. The benefit is you get all the benefits of that. So it's it's a win-win situation. But I really think leading by example and not preaching is where it's at. So I'm very cautious of this. I, with patients, language to me is everything. Communication is without doubt one of the things I value most highly. And so using language that's not, again, you're not preaching to someone, you're not telling them what to do, you're offering them information, you're showing them, you're giving them the facts and you're letting them decide. But when you're trying to force someone to do something, the chances are they're not going to want to do that. So I think just really nurturing that becomes very important, especially when you are dealing with young hormonal women who are going to probably want to rebel and do exactly what you're telling them not to do. And then that lends you to be able to nourish your body properly, move your body well, sleep properly, do what you love. There's so many different areas to that. But I I really think we need to keep it simple. And if we just come back to being able to lead by that example, we all win. We do all win. I love that. Oh, that's such a great answer. Now I've got one more <laughs> I've got one more question for you because I know everyone's wondering, okay, what is it that you're doing? I always want to get a peek into what what you do. And so the question I want to ask is what is the one thing, one healthy habit or natural solution, whatever that may be, that you do daily that really moves the needle for you feeling like a rock star? Sure. Um, I have a couple of things that I'll share. I'm very big with focusing on what I want to create, not what I don't want to create. I think our default is to look at the negative. We create more of that. And I learned this very early on that if I could actually focus on what I wanted, I would see more of what I want. And if I kept on doing that, I, it was almost like this magic, <laughs> this magic, I don't know, path that I could follow very easily. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not enlightened and I'm not claiming to be and I'll often default back, but it's just reminding myself to keep my eye on the prize. So I, this ways of doing this is, you know, meditation and gratitude. And I know it sounds very cliche, but if you're not doing it, 
there's something missing in your life and you're really missing out on something big and it's very it doesn't have to be hard so that is one thing nutrition is something that's not negotiable for me I feel so much better when I'm feeding my body properly it's something that we ingrain into our children whether they like it or not their children they still want the sweets and the snacks and the lollies and whatever you've got to have a healthy balance and the other one thing I do is I participate probably for not reasons that you would think but I participate in in CrossFit and that is more so about the not so much about actually the exercise it's more so about what has to happen for me to get there my husband goes out of his way to organize for me to get there he gets the children looked after he gets usually the the nights we go my mother-in-law cooks dinner for us and it's it's an hour that we get to spend together and yes okay I get the benefit of movement but it's actually allowing someone to do something for me I'm a bit of a control freak so allowing someone to do something for me to organize that for me and to care for me is something that's it's kind of a big deal for me and it's something that I've allowed to happen over the last two years. So, yes, I, like I said, I get the benefits of movement and that's epic in looking after my hormones and my bones and sleeping and, and all of that, but it's, it's twofold. So they're kind of the three non-negotiables that I include in my day. Thank you so much. And oh my gosh, those are amazing. I think the third one's my favorite is allowing yes. for someone to take care of you and, yeah. and, and help to get you the self-care that you deserve being the super mama that you are. Yeah, and it's taken me a long time to realize that. So it's nice to be able to actually articulate that now. But I do recognize that part of the, yeah, part of that is actually got nothing to do with the movement. It's more about everything else. I love it. Now, you've got a special thing for us. And I think about when you were talking about having that squad, that very much this gift is giving someone that wellness squad in their own home. And so can you tell us a little bit about this gift? It's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> It is totally, that's why I created it. So I recognize that women solve women's problems. I felt like once upon a time, women got together and they were already innately together. We, as a community or a family, you know, maybe the men would go off and hunt and the women would be at home together preparing and, you know, making clothes. And, you know, anyway, it was a community of people. And I feel like problems got solved because we talked about it. Somewhere along the line, there's this disconnect that happened that we feel feel we have to go it alone. You know, a woman suffers from miscarriage, but she doesn't tell anybody because I don't even actually know why the answer is why she doesn't tell anybody, but it's just something we do. We don't openly talk about it or a woman's going through IVF. We don't often openly talk about it. It's almost a taboo subject. The same with, I don't know, when you first get your period or whatever it might be. So I recognize that we need this community, I think, to be a better human being and it was missing. And so I created, it's called the Wellness Collective Membership. So it's just my membership that I run through my website and it just provides access to a community of women who get in there and help solve each other's problems, support each other, love each other, cheer for each other. Um, there's exclusive content in their podcast every month. You get beautiful artwork, you get you get a live call with me. So there's lots on offer in there. So um, I'm giving access to one month for everybody who wants that to come and try that out because I really feel like there's a lot of power in there and really next level to your health to really, you know, be nurtured and cared for. I love it. And this is an incredible gift. I'm so happy. And so I know that they'll get one month for free as well to get a really just jump in and get supported. The link will be in the show notes. And then Nat, honey, where is the best place to find you? I know I'll mention it in the show notes again, but yes. 
Beautiful. Just natkringudis.com. You're going to want to go to the show notes because it's a very long surname. <laughs> and all of my social handles are natkringudis as well. I love interacting on social media. I make time in my day to do that because I think it's so important just to have answers and access. So please come find me. I'd love to hang out with you in any of those places. Oh my gosh, your Insta page is marvelous. I, I so have fun. It's so fun. Just to see what you're doing, girl. <laughs> I have fun there. (laughs) Yes, you do. Well, Nat, honey, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom, and really opening the dialogue to a conversation that has been missing for a very long time. Thank you so much, seriously, from the bottom of my heart for the opportunity. I think, like I said, I have so much love for women and I really hope that women are happy to share this information and maybe share this podcast with people in their life that matter because it's our responsibility to nurture those around us so thank you absolutely honey talk to you soon bye I am so grateful for this conversation today I wholeheartedly agree with Nat about stepping up to be better to ourselves and pave the way for future women and girls Now, as I mentioned before we got started, Nat has a new book coming out this month, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. It's called Beautifully You. If you are ready to be a part of this revolution as a role model for younger women and girls, this is your book. I'm going to link to the book in our show notes, and I also want you to take up Nat on her generous gift. So in the show notes, you can click the link to get the Wellness Collective membership all kinds of amazing goodies in there and information and resources. You get to redeem a free month's membership by just using the code MARISA, M-A-R-I-Z-A, when subscribing on the month-to-month basis. And again, thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On the next episode, I am jumping back in the hot seat to cover one of the hottest topics related to hormones, and that is why loving your liver is key to hormonal balance. This is gonna get good, so you're gonna wanna come and join me for the next episode. As I mentioned earlier on the show, my goal is to continue to spread the word about the Essential You podcast and giving a shout out to each and every one of you for spreading the word yourselves, but I'm excited to consistently shout a couple people out. And all you gotta do is let them know on Insta or Facebook or review it on iTunes or whatever you love to review this podcast. See you guys soon. Until then, have a wonderful day. Bye.